You are now listening to the November 24th broadcast of the Unity in Christ. This hour, we have the attributes of God, walking our talk, and grace upon grace. First, let's begin with the attributes of God. This program will examine how we can learn about who God is, His character, and His nature by discovering His attributes. and welcome to another program in our Attributes of God series. I am your host, Susan Holtgrew. Over the last two weeks, we have studied words with the prefix of omni. We learned about God's omnipresence, or omnipresence, being in all places, at all times, all at once, and His omnipotence, being all-powerful, Remembering that omni means all, today we are going to learn about our all-knowing God, His omniscience. When you pray to God, He already knows what you need, even before you ask. God knows all things, past, present, and future. He knows your heart, and even though we have the freedom of choice, God knows all the possible outcomes of that choice. This is a hard thing to understand with our limited knowledge and understanding. God knows our thoughts, what we have said, will say, and about to say. Nothing surprises God, and nothing ever catches Him off guard. He would never say, I didn't know you were going to do that. He knew. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13, the writer says, And there is no creature hidden from His sight. But all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. David said it best in Psalm 139, verses 1 through 6, where he writes, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You understand my thought from afar. You scrutinize my path and my lying down and are intimately acquainted with all my ways. Even before there is a word on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all. You have enclosed me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is too high. I cannot attain to it. So how do we respond when we are baffled by what God is doing? We respond by understanding that we cannot understand it all. In other words, we will never comprehend what God knows and what He does. As God told Isaiah in chapter 55, verse 8, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. Sometimes when a situation comes into our lives that we just don't understand what God is doing or why He allowed a certain thing to happen to us or a loved one, We are left with just putting our trust in Him, knowing that, as Paul wrote in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good, to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. In closing, I would like to share what Paul wrote about the omniscience of God. 
in Romans chapter 11, verses 33 through 36. Oh, the depth of the riches both of the wisdom and knowledge of God! How unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways! For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who became his counselor? Or who has first given to him that it might be paid back to him again? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. God bless you all. Goodbye. Sweet.
Coming up next is the podcast series, Walking Our Talk. We will be studying the book, Learning How to Trust Again, by Dr. Ed Delf and Alan and Polly Heller. Through true life stories and God's Word, you will learn how to regain your emotional, physical, and spiritual well-being, how to rebuild broken relationships, and you will learn five keys to regaining your trust. Now let's hear from Alan and Polly Heller and Dr. Ed Delf and begin our study on how we can learn how to trust God and others. Welcome to Walking Our Talk with Alan Heller. I'm Dustin Daniels. This week, you will definitely want to have your pen ready. Dr. Ed Delf gives a rapid-fire recap from all these dragon egg lessons on the subject of trust. These are quick, bite-sized statements that will certainly give you an aha moment or two. We'll also ask the following questions today. Number one, can you tame something that's forbidden? Number two, how does trust not remain a choice in our life, but turn into a value? The authors, Alan and Polly Heller, along with Dr. Ed Delf, they wrote the book, Learning How to Trust. And all this material that we're gonna be talking about today comes from this particular book. Later in the show, I'll show you how to get a copy of your own and also how you can register for one of Alan's upcoming trust webinars to where you can ask your own personal questions. Well, let's get started. Here's Ed with today's conversation. When you try to tame a forbidden thing, it just won't be tamed. Mm, yeah. Um, and without God's power and so forth. And you need to be aware of that right away. So here's a few one-liners we have in the book. I'd just like to read them to you. Um, I think at the, to the listeners out there, one of these or several of these will really uh, touch you and I hope is a ha-ha to you. Those who created yesterday's pain do not control tomorrow's potential. How many times have we seen that? Mm. We're looking, running backwards, as it says in the, in the rearview mirror. Those who created yesterday's pain do not control tomorrow's potential. Second one, whatever you can tolerate, you can't change. Whatever you can tolerate, you can't change. And so until the pain exceeds the fear, there'll be no change. What you are willing to walk away from determines what God will bring you to. In other words, when you let go of what's in your hand, God will let go of what's in his hand. That's so important. Sometimes you have to do something you hate to get to something you love. And that is very, very hard. Uh, what we're looking at the statement here, that you can't, res- you can't rescue the damsel if she loves her distress. That's right. you know? <laughs> and so, uh, but you're gonna have to do something you hate to get to something you love. And that is take the steps here and, and so forth and this learn how to trust all over again. Stop looking at what you can see and start looking at what you can have. Now that's an important one, mm. because what you see is a bunch of problems, but let's take a look, just change your focus. Whatever you focus on, you well, let me say it this way, you become what you focus on. So if you're focusing on what you see right now, all oh, these so problems, true. so true. let's focus on what you can have rather than what you see right now. Misery is a yesterday person trying to get along with the tomorrow God. It's mm. a great statement. Mm. When you let go of what is in your hand, God will let go of what is in his hand. The smallest step in the right direction always creates joy. 
Final one, the broken become masters at mending. And see, that's part of this process. We're talking about what good can come of these things when you're in the middle of that paint. Well, perhaps it's so you can share what's happened in your life. I mean, the, the power is in your testimony. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. Sometimes what we think God's doing is not good. I understand that. Right. He does, sometimes he doesn't look good, but, uh, or seem, it doesn't seem good, yeah. but he is good. So hold on to that. Our pain level, you know, there are different people that have different pain tolerances. And sometimes I think those who have a high pain tolerance don't get to learn the lesson soon enough mm. because it, it's all about I can do it. I will work this out. I will. And I find it's an, it's an art. It's not a science that... There are things in this life that we can only learn by going through certain pain, but there are a lot of things that I can learn because of others' pain, and I don't have to go through it. And so, um, and God is the author of what, you know, the rain falls on the just and the unjust alike. And so, it's up to him how that pain gets dished out. The one job that I have is to allow that pain to purify and and help me see Jesus rather than just help me see pain. And just, I get very short-sighted, and all I want to do is get my comfort. And I think when we have a society around us, that comfort is the ultimate God. I mean, when I go to an airport and I see how everyone is just dressed almost in their pajamas these days. I mean, it, it used to be flying was something you dress up for. My father would dress up to go flying. Well, I just see the comfort. Everybody wants comfort, and yet comfort is not where really the gold in uh, a life of faith is found. It was, you know, Moses seeing the Red Sea in front of him and the Egyptians behind him, and by faith he took a step into the Red Sea and it, it parted. Uh, the Jordan Sea parted when the Israelites put their foot in there. So that's that's what we have to do in the midst of our pain. Lord, what is, even though we're suffering, what is it, what's the next step that you want me to take instead of sort of lighting my own fire or me deciding, I'm just getting out of here? Mm -hmm. Or I think that's what happens in an addictive cycle, which to me is just a flesh cycle where um, I, I just am wanting comfort so bad that I'm willing to do something that destroys my life to the point that some people, I mean, as we look at our headlines, we see actors, we see um, people that supposedly are, th are at the top and the pinnacle of their profession. They have money, power, fame, and they're committing suicide in the most egregious ways because that's not. The money, power, and fame is not where joy is found. The joy is found in the Lord, and the only way you can get there is by having faith and trusting God to uh, have us live according to the design that he designed us. So we've been talking a lot about trust over the last couple sessions, and let's just kind of revisit the actual definition of trust. What is, what is trust... What's it defined as? What's it look like? How do we? How, what do we do with it? Let's let's first of all let's take what let's take a look at what Webster says about it. Okay, I'll just 
just read here. It's Webster's. Trust is a firm belief or confidence in the honesty, integrity, reliability, or justice of another person or thing. Trust is a faith. It's a reliance. It's a confident expectation, anticipation, or hope. As in man with God, a husband and a wife, a president with a nation, a customer with a business, all relationships of any kind, trust is the rope that connects you to mm-hmm. that. So it's a firm reliance on, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, that, that's, the, that's the whole idea of trust. And that's, what, that's that rope that we need to, to have. When you can't see God's hand, trust in his character. I think that's a, a powerful statement for somebody in here uh, today listening to this. And, and just when you can't see his hand, trust in his character. That's where trust is formed. See, c- trust comes from knowing God. Faith comes from hearing God. So trust is knowing God. It's knowing that he's reliable. It's knowing, you know, right now, yes, it's painful. I don't understand. I, I get it. I got it. Been there, done that, got that T-shirt. But I can trust that God can turn this into a trophy of grace, of turn what I've experienced into a trophy of grace, into a testimony, into into I call I don't call them testimonies. I call them blessedimonies. <laughs> you know, I, so you can be blessedimonies. Now, is there going to be a loss? Of course, there is. You know, there's always going to be a scar. But it doesn't have to be an open wound. You see, scars, you can see where people have had wounds, but it's healed. Now, there's still a mark there. But if it stays an open wound, that's the problem with unforgiveness, it stays an open wound. With with low self-esteem, it stays an open wound. It's it's infected forever. But once you can get past the, the healing of that, that scar will still be there. And... You know, well, we won't understand some of the stuff till we can talk to the Lord about it, okay? And I, I get that. I've got a few questions myself. I, <laughs> I'm with you in that uh, journey, okay? But, but it's a trust. It's a knowing. It's an assurance. It's a conviction. Yeah, it seems to me like as we, we talk about this, it's one of these things to where do I really believe what the Lord says in his word? Do I really truly believe this, whatever it is, this means at this moment, mm-hmm. and my actions then reveal whether my, I do my trust level. Exactly, is that right? And I think we grow from trust to trust. I mean, as a new believer, I didn't know anything else but to trust God. As I got older in my believing, I found ways that I could get around trusting God. I mean, it's. It's almost <laughs> counterintuitive. But, I mean, I thought nothing uh, when my sister was going to get married and there was a 99% chance of rain the night before and we went out for dinner and it was misting. And she turned to me and said, Alan, you have connections upstairs. You know, and I mean, that's a quite an irreverent way to refer to God. But I said, yeah. And she said, could you pray that it doesn't rain? And God spoke to me, and I don't have this fear of saying that God spoke to me. If God spoke to Moses, and God spoke to Daniel, and God's, he, he speaks to me. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So I don't mind saying, he spoke to me, and he said, tell her it won't rain. 
99% chance of rain, and it's raining right now. And he <laughs> says, tell her. So I told my sister and my family, uh, I don't think it's going to rain tomorrow. I think you'll be fine. And the next day, I had all these Jewish people shaking my hand saying, I hear this is the reason why we have a sunny day today. <laughs> and uh, nice. I just believe God because he, I heard him say it, and I did it. And then as I get older, I start finding ways around that and, and doubting him. Here's what Hebrews 11.1 1 says. Uh, now, faith is the confidence. Faith or trust in him is the confidence in what we hope for and the assurance about what we do not see. I mean, faith and insurance, assurance in what we don't see. You know, we think the scientific method and what we see, taste, touch, smell, we think that's real. But to God, it's the invisible things that are the most real. So faith, love, you know, he says in Corinthians 13, uh, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Can you put that in a test tube? No. You can see when somebody is loving, but you can't see love. And God was the epitome of love. And so I, I think we learn how to trust, how, do we, how to build more trust in our life when, one, we by faith take action on what we are hearing both in his word and what he's saying to us, which will not contradict each other. That's really important. And, and as we go through an event, where we stepped into the Jordan and, oh my gosh, it did part. We, we grow from faith to faith, from glory to glory is what the word says, and it's a, a perfecting of the truth of what God has said in his word as well as the spirit quickens in, in a moment of time, and we can learn to trust again, especially if we've fallen off the horse. We just, we do need to get back up. I'm amazed when I see the, uh, these X games and these guys going down, you know, 90 miles an hour down this unbelievable um, wooden thing. I mean, you know, we used to think 20 feet was a long deal. And they're going uh, like 100 yards down this thing and going up, you know, 30, 40 feet. And the guy crashes, and they get right back up. I saw this film where this guy was trying for the first time a triple back on his BMX bike in this dirt hill. And he ends up five times crashing, but he, he, he's barely walking, and he finally gets up to the pinnacle. And the guys go, I don't know if you should do this. He goes, I'm going to do it. He had faith that he could do it. And then the last time, he can hardly walk, and he does it and he lands his triple. And I mean, if we can do that in the natural, how much more should we be able to do this from a spiritual perspective? It's amazing that I, as you guys talk, I, I think about this picture of Jesus in my office. And it's a picture of him walking on the water. And it's kind of a sideways view of him. You can't see his face. You can kind of see his cheek a little bit. You can't see his face. And his, his hair's blowing in the wind. And I just love it because it's, it just invites you mm. to follow him yes. through the messiness of all this stuff that we're talking about. Mm. And am I going to place my trust in him or am I going to place my trust in myself or am I going to attach my rope to something else, right, Ed? Mm -hmm. I mean, that's, mm -hmm. that's exactly what we're talking about here so, today. So, Ed, what, what's like an illustration in your own life, like one of the 
one of the biggest trust factors that sort of helped boost your ability to trust in God because you saw him faithful? Well, I'd say, first of all, when I, was, when I got my business, I was 24. I, I, I was working. I had a pretty decent job at, a, believe it or not, a mortuary chain. <laughs> Here in Phoenix, Bethany Chapel, Grimshaw Sorry, Mortuaries. We laugh at you, mortuary. Oh, no, that's okay. It was, it was all of that. But it, it was. Just, you have I, job I, security. That's for sure. That's for sure. Yeah. As, but I had to get out of there. It was a dying business. <laughs> it's a dying business. I felt yeah. I was getting boxed in, and oh, God. you know they don't have too many. That's where these one-liners started to come from. Oh, okay. oh, sorry oh, about that. Goodness. I'm sorry, 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 sorry. My brother-in-law uh, would love you. He's I, a you, you know, it's just going to come out of me. I can't help it. Okay. <laughs> But, no, I think in that process of where God just was a brand-new Christian, just received the Lord, and all of a sudden he's working this job, and it, and it was a great job, great people. I loved it. We had four mortuaries in the cemetery and, and uh, doing well. But God just said, I want you to get a business, you know, and, and I just, you know, I was supposed to do that. And I was a brand-new Christian. I didn't even know the right language to use. I know it kind of now. Mm. But all of a sudden I... You know, I so I quit that business, and so here I am, and I'm in the process of looking for a business. You know, I'm 24 years old. I mean, wow. I don't even, this is like a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. <laughs> but, you know, I saw these, I ended up, long story, but ended up with these two businesses that had uh, some potential that I thought were manageable. And I had 3000 bucks. And uh, so how's this going to happen, you know? And so in any event, one of them was a, a, bind, a broken down bindery with some very, very old people in their early 80s still running it. They were down to one customer. Wow. I heard wow. this from a printer that was in our church. He said, hey, this little, these guys have been trying to sell this business for a long time. Nobody's there. It's down to, you know, it's really in a mess. And then I looked at a, actually a salt mine out by Luke Air Force Base that Morton Salt owns now. It's kind of interesting. So I looked at those two things, and they were, you know, whatever. And the amazing thing was I had faith for one, but I didn't have faith for the other. The, the salt company I didn't just couldn't resonate with, but, but it, it was probably in better shape than the other company. And then this other one just had one or two employees, husband and wife type of thing. Um, you know, I just look at that and I just go, that was it. I mean, I, I felt like God wanted me to go with that. And so, sure enough, I got a loan and, and made a big step of faith at 24 years old and all that type of stuff. And, you know, six years later, I've got 43 employees and a, and a wonderful business that still goes on today. Wow. See, that that helped my me on my trust, mm -hmm. you know. But yet there's other times, like with the guy that I lent the money to that I, I didn't, it wasn't a happy ending, <laughs> right. but you know what? You I still trust, trust God. Yeah. I, it's, see, to me, trust, and here's something I may encourage us with as we come in for a landing here, but Alan alluded to a little bit ago, there's a difference between a belief and value. A belief is something you believe, a value is something you do. Now, let me, I believe I shouldn't eat French fries. <laughs> Those things are carbohydrates, soaked in saturated fat. They're going to plug up my arteries. And, you, you know, I believe, I believe I shouldn't eat them. Now, ask me if I eat them. Do you eat those? Of course I do. <laughs> See, I have a belief, but it's not a value. I believe I should work out. Not I a conviction. I'm strong, live, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I, uh, now, ask me if I work out. Do you work out? No, of course not. Are you kidding me? <laughs> so, see, the point of it is, when will I have the revelation? When I get a heart attack, you mm -hmm. know, but in any event, okay, mm -hmm. I'll get an aha then. <laughs> That's bad words. I shouldn't say that. 
But the point of it is, guys, it's so much of this. And if maybe you're out there and you want to believe, you know, you're like that, I want to believe, but help me in my unbelief and so forth. There's a point where you have to step out in that belief. And that belief, after God shows you, it can show you what he can do, whether the outcome is good or bad. You got to get to that place where it's an assurance. Trust is an assurance. It's not a belief. It's a value. It's something I just choose, no matter what this. I'm gonna. I, I'm hoping, of course, for the best in every yeah. case. And that doesn't mean that God doesn't punish you just to punish you. You know, we see we aren't punished for our mistakes. We're punished by our mistakes. And I think that's a at the by the way we react to things. You know, so let's make that. But I would say to all this, we're hoping in this process that trust, we're introducing you some knowledge, become revelation, become a conviction, it become a value in your life. God's character is worthy of our trust. And if we know the true God and believe in him, then I think trust is a lot easier because he's faithful. Uh, we know he will never let us down. And we do have places where our hopes have been up and we wanted to see God move, uh, but maybe he hasn't. I, I just think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They said, even if the fire consumes us, we will still believe in the Lord our God. God is faithful and his character never changes. Listen to this in Isaiah 40, verse 28. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or, or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. Hebrews 8:13 says this, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And James chapter 1, verse 17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Isn't it amazing how God is a never-changing God, and yet he's all about changing us? Well, next week, we'll discuss that ever-slow, patient process of the birth and the development of that dreaded idol in our life, or what the authors call that dragon egg. To learn more about Dr. Ed Delph, you can visit nationstrategy.com. And to visit Alan and Polly Heller, head over to walkandtalk.org. You'll be able to order the book, Learning How to Trust. It also has a newly revised application guide, and that guide is great for your family, your church, or even your small group. Lastly, don't forget to sign up for one of Alan's upcoming trust webinars. And once again, you can do that at walkandtalk.org. Well, on behalf of Alan, Polly, and Ed, thanks for listening to Walking Our Talk. We'll meet again next week.
You can listen to Heart and Soul Gospel Broadcasts through apps or podcasts on your smartphone. If you're an iPhone user, go to the App Store and download Heart and Soul. If you possess an Android phone, you can download it in the Play Store in the same way. Podcast users can download by searching Heart and Soul Broadcasts in the search box. It also provides you with distinct broadcasts for children's program. By searching Heart and Soul Kids in the podcast, you can directly log on to the broadcast for children's program. For more information, please call and tag the office at 602-866-8999. Coming up next is a sermon by Pastor Bill Malter of Arizona Community Church. Today's topic is God is Always at Work. I hope you have a blessed time with Pastor Bill. Well, November is a fun time of year. It's got one of the greatest holidays in it, which is Thanksgiving, because there's no gifts you have to give. Doesn't that make that one of the best? There's food, football, and no gifts. It's like the ideal holiday, and we get to celebrate it this month. But um, we're making November the, the month of Thanksgiving, and so we're going to start a series called 10,000 Reasons to be Thankful. Really, it's 10,000 reasons or more, right? We have more than 10,000 reasons to be thankful, do we not? Amen, we sure do. And so we're going to spend a couple of weeks on that, and I hope your heart is encouraged as we go through this series. In 2015, a study was done looking at the effects of thankfulness um, on men and women who had heart disease, and this was reported in Time magazine. Uh, Researchers rated the people's level of gratitude, and they found that higher levels of gratitude were linked to having a better mood, better sleep, and less inflammation in the body, which can worsen the symptoms of heart failure. Fascinating. In addition, they had some of the men and some of the women in this study actually keep a journal of the things for which they were thankful over an eight-week period. Researchers found that those patients who kept a gratitude journal for those eight weeks showed a reduction in symptoms that contributed to cardiac arrest. Fascinating. Gratitude also helps you make friends. In 2014, a study was done by researchers, and they did it with college students, and they found that when a college student had a thankful attitude, friendships were more likely to form. Isn't that interesting? Apparently, being thankful is more important than any of us ever imagined. Being thankful, of course, isn't always that easy, though, right? Isn't that the case? It's easy to say, be thankful, but when the rubber hits the road and you're living life, Sometimes it's very, very hard to be thankful. Sooner or later, one of the hard realities that we all learn in life is this, is that your life doesn't go as planned, right? Many of you have seen this on Facebook. Your plan is up on top, right? You're going to get straight to your destination. There's going to be no bumps in the road. But reality is the, the little diagram below, isn't it? You, many of you have seen this. The, the reality is, is that life throws us a lot of curveballs. Life can get messy really, really quickly. The life we want and the life we actually get can often be worlds apart from one another. And the truth is that sometimes the life we get can be filled with some pretty incredible trials. Trials that literally set our lives on a different course than we ever saw coming. And it's during those messy, tough times, those trials, 
that come into our life, that being thankful is often the last thing on our minds, right? I mean, let's be honest. When trials come, it's not like, hey, this is awesome. Thank you, God. This is amazing. No, it's just the opposite. We want to grumble and complain, right? That's why Philippians 2.14 says, do all things without grumbling or complaining. Now, a while back, a couple of sermon series ago, we were talking about winning the war within. And one of the wars that we battle are bitterness. And I talked about overcoming bitterness, but that message was focused on overcoming bitter feelings that we have towards another person. But what if you find yourself becoming bitter towards God? What if you find yourself getting upset and angry with God, upset that God has allowed a difficult trial to unfold in your life? Listen, I bet if we were all honest in here right now, we could all share stories about how we have struggled with a certain level of bitterness towards God, anger towards God. At least at one time or another in our life, we have struggled with this. All of us have probably struggled with this. I know that I have. Confession time. Pastor Bill sometimes struggles with God. I don't understand his ways all the time. And sometimes he allows stuff into my life. I don't understand why it's there. It makes no sense to me, but I have to trust that it makes sense to him. But is it possible, and this is the question I have for you this morning, is it possible to have a thankful attitude even when life isn't always going as we hoped? Even when life gets incredibly messy, is it possible for there to be a group of people on this planet that are actually thankful in such times who bless the name of the Lord, not curse his name? This morning, folks, I want to give you reason number one of 10,000 of why you and I can be thankful even when times are tough. Now, this is going to be a 10,000-week sermon series, but we're only going to do three of them, and then we'll postpone the others for next Thanksgiving. But this is reason number one of 10,000 of why you can be thankful. And here it is, folks. I'm thankful because God is always at work, even when life gets messy, even when life gets incredibly messy, especially when life gets incredibly messy. Now listen, there are many examples in the Bible of where God had allowed difficult things to come into a person's life, and the end result wasn't a heart that blessed the name of God, it was a heart that cursed the name of God. One of the best examples of this is Pharaoh. As you know, God had raised up Moses to deliver the people out of slavery in Egypt. They had been there for over 400 years. And God sends Moses to Pharaoh and he says, let my people go. And of course, Pharaoh won't do it. So God brings a series of plagues against Egypt and specifically against Pharaoh. What was the end result? The end result was that Pharaoh's heart grew harder and harder. Exodus chapter eight says, and the Lord did according to the word of Moses. But when Pharaoh saw that there was no respite, he hardened his heart and would not listen to them as the Lord had said. Instead of humbling himself and obeying God and giving glory to God and and blessing his name, Pharaoh's heart just grew harder and harder. We see this go all the way to the end of the Bible, the book of Revelations. We see a similar thing happening in Revelation chapter 16. There's an angel and he's pouring out his bowl judgments of God. And it says this, the fourth angel poured out his bowl judgment on the sun And it was allowed to scorch people with fire, and they were scorched with fierce heat. So God is allowing intense times into these people's lives. What's the end result? And they cursed the name of God who had power over the plagues. They did not repent and give him glory. Folks, this is so powerful. They cursed the name of God and did not repent or give him glory. 
And folks, that is the temptation we all face when difficult times, when trials come into our lives, hardships. The temptation is that we develop a bitter, hard heart towards God, even to the point where we're ready to curse him and say, God, get out of here. The author of the book of Hebrews even warns about the dangers of developing a hard heart toward God, right? Hebrews chapter 3, it says this, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Now what's interesting is he's referring, the writer of Hebrews is referring back to the time in which Moses led the people out of Egypt. God had allowed tough times, plagues into Pharaoh's life. His heart grew hard. The Israelites are delivered out of slavery. They enter through the wilderness and God allows tough times into their lives. And what do they do? They harden their hearts as well. They harden their hearts as well. Fascinating. On the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. So let me ask you folks, has there ever been a time where you were so upset with the circumstances that were unfolding in your life that you were ready to curse God? Or at least shake your fist at him and go, God, what are you doing? Please, where is the end? Have you ever been there? We've all been here, right? Where you just throw your hands up to the heavens and you're like, seriously, God, again? Seriously, God, more? Seriously, God, when is this going to stop? It might be a financial difficulty. It might be a health issue. It might be a relationship that you have in your family or in your life that's driving you crazy and you're looking and you're saying, God, when? When will this stop? I'll be the first to admit, tough times can indeed lead to a hard heart. I've struggled with it. I've been a Christian 30 years, and God has allowed some pretty difficult trials into my life. And I'll be the first to admit, there's been times I've looked to the heavens, and I'm like, God, I don't understand. And I don't know that I'm really thankful, and I don't know that I want to bless your name in these moments. But listen, folks, a hard heart isn't the only option when tough times and trials come our way. There is another option, and the other option is to recognize that God like a master craftsman, is using tough times and trials in our lives to give us an eternal perspective. He's using them for his eternal purposes and that we can even be thankful and bless the name of the Lord when these times come into our life. Listen, folks, tough times don't have to end in a hard heart. I can prove it to you. You know the book of Job and you know the story of Job. He was a faithful, godly man. He followed the Lord with his whole heart but God allowed Satan to bring trials into his life. And what does Job say in Job 121? And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked shall I return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. What does he say? Blessed be the name of the Lord. There are 10,000 reasons to be thankful to the Lord even when the times are hard, even when the fires are their hottest we can bless the name of the Lord. Yes, there are a group of people on this planet that can bless the name of the Lord, even when times are tough, and it is Christians. Why? Because we believe that God has eternal purposes even in the tough times, amen? This is what we believe. God is always at work, folks, even when life is messy, and that is the number one reason you have to be thankful today. God is always at work, always at work, especially when the times are messy. Be confident and trust that God is at work. Job blessed the name of the Lord, even when he took away from him. If you know anything about Job, you know that it was very difficult for him, but he goes on to write this just a little bit later in chapter 13. Though he slay me, though God slay me, I will hope in him. Even if God wipes me out, I will still hope in him. I look to him at all times and in all ways. This was the heart of Job. 
Even when the fires were their hottest, he was blessing the name of God and hoping in him. We see a similar attitude in King David. As you know, King David didn't have an easy life. His own son betrayed him. He was constantly at war. He had many issues going on in his family. Yet it was, he lost his son, his own son. Yet it was King David that we see time and again giving thanks to God and praising him even when the fires were at their hottest. But I will sing of your strength. I will sing aloud of your steadfast love in the morning for you have been my fortress and my refuge. When? When the days were good? No. In the day of distress, in the day of distress, I will sing of your strength. In the day of distress, I will sing aloud of your steadfast love. I will bless your name and I will thank you even when, God, things are unbearable. Why? Because you are a God that is at work even when life is messy, especially when life is messy. And I know that some of you are here today and your lives are messy. There are issues. You got financial issues, health issues. There's a wayward child, a wayward grandchild, whatever it might be. Life is messy. And you're like, can I really have a thankful heart as we enter this holiday season and we're going to spend a day in which we thank God, can I really spend a month, the month of November, praising you and thanking you? Yes, you can. Folks, it was during the tough times that David ran to God, that Job ran to God and not from him. By the way, you know what the circumstances were when David wrote this particular psalm? Saul had sent people to David's own house to kill him. David writes this. (laughs) David writes this, Job and David, amazing men who praised the name of God, blessed his name and sang of his goodness even when the fires were at their hottest. The Apostle Paul, another great example, man who had a difficult life in many ways. He sacrificed everything in order to advance the kingdom of God. What did he say? He said, give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Folks, no one understand this. Tough times don't have to end in a hard heart. I'm going to prove that to you in a very specific way today. I've invited my friend Steve Welker. Steve and his wife attend this church. And Steve, he's going to tell you the story of what God did with his life and how God took him. He had his own path. He was headed his own direction. And God intervened. And so would you do me a big favor and give Steve Welker, Mr. Steve Welker, a big AC welcome. Awesome. Here's your mic. And this is Orbit right here. So come right here. So there you go. We did it. How y'all doing today? Pastor Bill said, this is my guide dog. You don't care about me. You care about my guide dog. You want to hear about Orbit. So let me introduce you properly. Come here, big boy. Orbit, sit. Yeah, boy. This is my guide dog, Orbit. Orbit is a standard poodle, and uh, he's five years old. I've had him for two and a half years. He's my first guide dog. He's a true blessing in my life, and... Don't know why it took me so long to get a guide dog, but I am going to let Orbit walk around on stage. If he starts heading for the door, can you holler? Because I need him. So, or you can just stay right there. When Pastor Bill asked me to share my message, I was feeling pretty darned important, like a big shot at the church, because I was going to get to share my message. And uh, my wife and I are going through Rooted. I don't know if you've gone through that or not, but we're in Randy and Melissa's Rooted group. And ironically, the same week that uh, Bill asked me to share my message, we were talking about service. And in Rooted, there is a a story about a mouse and an elephant. And you may remember the story, a mouse and an elephant are crossing a big bridge. And as they're crossing, that bridge is just shaking. And they get to the end of the bridge, and uh, that mouse looks up at the elephant, and he said, man, we really made that bridge shake, didn't we? A little bit of a reminder for me, I am the mouse in that example, and God is the elephant, 
and I am serving him. And by telling my story that he has allowed me to tell, I am humbled by that. And I appreciate the invitation to share it with you here today. You see, I haven't always been blind. I spent the first 37 years of my life with perfect vision. And I had, I had life by the tail. I really did. I did what I wanted to do, and I lived the life I wanted to live. And I thought I had everything going for me. That changed very dramatically on April 30th of 1994. Uh, my wife, Christy, and I were traveling at 68th Street in Scottsdale, and we were hit by an impaired driver. And as a result of that injury, we were both severely injured in the accident. As a result of that accident, I was left blind. And I got to tell you, that was not supposed to happen to me. Steve Welker was not supposed to be blind. But it was the hand that I had been dealt. I was in the hospital, and for the first two weeks, I was in a drug-induced coma. And when I came out of that coma, I was lucky to be alive. I didn't feel very lucky, but I was lucky to be alive. And two very important things happened. First of all, I was told that our baby boys, Colton and Dylan, were born happy and healthy. And secondly, I got a visit. And the visit came from a pastor at Grace Community Church. Ironic, I'm giving this message today on the same week that Pastor Guy Davidson died. At the time of my accident, I was not a believer. My wife had started taking me to Grace Community Church, and I was starting to come around, but I wasn't there yet. And when this pastor came into my hospital room and talked with me, it was just an awesome experience. And before he left, he prayed for me. And I can't remember the details of that prayer, but I can tell you that as he prayed, I felt this huge weight being lifted from my shoulders because I realized that I wasn't going to have to fight this battle on my own, that I had God on my side. Because up until that time in my life, I was a control freak. I was in control of everything that I did, and I thought that I could control everything. I belonged to the Steve Welker religion, and I learned very quickly that that was not a very good religion. It wasn't going to get the job done. A lot of Christians can tell you the exact day and minute they became a Christian. It wasn't like that for me. I don't know if it was because of the head injury or the drugs or just because I'm so hard-headed, but it took a while to sink in who my Lord and Savior was. But for that first year after the accident, the most important day of the week was Sundays when we went to Grace Community Church, and I soaked in the message. It, uh, it was an awesome time. I tell people that before my accident, there were 10,000 things I could do, and now there are only 9,000 things. And God has allowed me to concentrate on the 9,000 things I can still do and not the 1,000 things that I can no longer do. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I am a living, breathing example of that. I would not be here today without God's help in my life. It just, all the credit goes to Him. In 2002, I was baptized and at the end of the service, the worship director stood and sang Amazing Grace. And I thought he was singing it, especially for me. He probably sings it after every baptism ceremony, but I was sure he was singing it to me that day because of the lyrics of the first verse. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. That's me. I may be blind in this physical world, but I can see Jesus Christ, and I know he's my Lord and Savior. 
Thank you for your time today, folks. God bless. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Go. Thank you. Yeah. And you're going to write this, come this way. <laughs> come on, Orbit, right over here. And here's Gary's going to help you down. There's Gary right there. Let me ask you, if God took what was most precious to you, could you praise his name? The answer is yes. Here's a man, God took his, one of the most precious things that we all have is our eyesight. And here he is today blessing the name of God, praising the name of God. Not the first time I've seen that. Many of you know my brother about seven years ago went blind. He has, was born with hydrocephalus, which is water on the brain, so he had a shunt in his neck his whole life. And at around age 48, 49, that shunt got clogged. And uh, the pressure grew so bad on his optical nerves, it crushed his optical nerves and his lights went out, lights out. Couldn't see anymore, just like Steve. As a matter of fact, you're going to see my brother here in about a week. He's going to come visit over Thanksgiving. So if you see another blind guy walking around here, that's my brother. But here's the point. My brother's the same story. My brother, before he lost his eyesight, went to church, did the church thing. But it was in the midst of God taking what was most precious to him, from him, that my brother ran to God and not from God. Anytime I call my brother, many of you know my mom recently passed away a couple years ago. She died. She was the one that was always praying for me. And it was just before that my brother lost his eyesight. Guess who's always praying for me now that my mom's gone? Yeah, my brother. Every time I call my brother, he's like, Bill, I'm, I'm praying for you. What do you want me to pray for? Bathing me in prayer. Is it possible to praise God and to bless his name even when he takes everything from you like Job, or he takes what's most precious to you like he did with Steve in his eyesight? The answer is yes. Listen, it's pretty clear to me that one of the main reasons that God allowed these trials into Steve's life, right? He was worshiping at the altar of Steve Welker. He said it. He said it to me a couple weeks ago. He goes, Bill, I'm going to share my story. When I share my story, I'm going to tell you that I was part of the Steve Welker religion. And I said, Steve, when you share your testimony, share that. And he goes, I will. He goes, I was all about Steve Listen, if you are here today and you are not a Christian and you wonder why God keeps allowing trials to come into your life, here's why. Oh, by the way, there's Steve's book, The World at My Fingertips. And I do want to say this real quick. Steve wrote this book, The World at My Fingertips. Him and his wife, who is a PhD uh, psychologist, they just wrote this book called Radical Resiliency. Both books will be on the sale in, I think they're 10 bucks each, on the lobby. Steve will be out there. And I encourage you to stop by, talk to Steve, buy one of his books. And he talked, there's the radical resiliency. Here's the deal. If you're here today and you're not a Christian and you're wondering why does God keep allowing tough times into my life, it's because just like with Steve, he's trying to get your attention. And know this, when God gets your attention, even through trials, it's a gift from God. You might not feel like it's a gift. It might feel like a burden to you and you're going, God, why are you allowing this stuff into my life? It's because he's trying to get your attention. He's trying to point you to the true Savior, the true religion, Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, the one that died for our sins and rose again. Amen? Now, no one understand this. If you're here today and you're a Christian and you're wondering, why does God keep allowing trials into my life? Same answer. He's trying to get your attention. And when God gets your attention, even when it's through a trial, folks, no one understand this. It is a gift of God. It's a gift. It's not a curse. It's a gift. God is refining you and breaking you and humbling you, taking your eyes off this world and turning them to his son, so that you're sold out in this generation, a prophet to this generation, no longer living for yourself, but living for the Lord. This is why. 
and the trials that will come in your life because you're not gone yet, right? There's going to be more trials to come in your life in the future. Know that when those trials come, they're a gift from God. He's getting your attention. He's stripping you of the things of this world and turning your eyes upon his Savior. I will tell you, folks, one of the greatest things you can have in life is an eternal perspective. Steve lost his eyesight, but he gained something far greater in the process. He was blind spiritually incited physically, and God reversed that. And now he has an eternal perspective, and he will tell you, he'll be the first to tell you, there is no greater gift that God has given to him than spiritual eyes that can see. God uses trials to wake us up, right? Behold, I'm coming soon like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake. Why does God allow trials into our lives to wake us up, right? Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in my sight, God says. He's writing to the church at Sardis. Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I come against you. God uses trials as a merciful gift in our life, whether we're a Christian or a non-Christian, to point us to his son and say, Folks, the days are short. Your life is almost over. Give your life to Christ in every way. Be sold out for him now. Because before you know it, you're going to be called home. The other reason, and I want to finish with this, the other reason that I believe God allowed these trials into Steve's life, he said it. He would not be here today. He might have a lot of money. He might have a really big house. He might have a bunch of nice cars. But he would not be standing in the pulpit of Arizona Community Church blessing the church With his testimony, he would not have been here today had God not taken his sight from him. He'll be the first to tell you that. I want to read real quick a passage for you. Listen to this. Why did God allow the Israelites to face trials? Time and again, after Moses led them out of the promised land and after they wandered in the desert for 40 years, they entered the promised land, but they were still at war. Now look what it says. Now these are the nations that the Lord left to test Israel. God left Israel godless nations all around the nation of Israel. Why? To test them by them. That is all in Israel who had not experienced the wars in Canaan. Okay. The generation of Israelites that entered the promised land did not fight in the wars that Joshua fought to win the land. Okay. It was only in order that the generations of the people of Israel might know war to teach war to those who had not known it before. God allowed these nations to be A thorn in the flesh of the nation of Israel to teach them how to fight. And in learning how to fight, you learn how to work with metals and mobilize people and fortify cities. You learn all sorts of new skills when you go to war. And this is what God was doing with the Israelites. This is what he was doing with Steve. He allowed a trial into his life. And it was through this trial that Steve gained all sorts of new skills. God raised him up and set him on another direction. By the way, It was the nation of Israel that would soon fight Assyria and Babylon. They needed to be prepared. And God was preparing them through the trials that they were experiencing. Right now, folks, no one understand this. If you have trials in your life, God is preparing you for something down the road. He is. He is giving you the skills you need today to fight a war that you're going to fight tomorrow. That's what he did with the nation of Israel. That's what he did with Steve. And before you know it, Down the road, you might be standing in a pulpit. You might be standing in a foreign country as a missionary there. You might be doing things you never thought you would do because of what God has done today in your life. Amen? Folks, you have 10,000 reasons to be thankful. You have more than 10,000 reasons to be thankful. And so do I. Because our God is good. And God is at work even when life gets messy. Amen? He sure does. He is. I finish with this verse right here. 1 Peter 
In all of this, all of what? All of the trials you face. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. So folks, is it really possible to be thankful when times are tough? Yes. Even when God takes what's most precious from you, you can bless his name because God is at work even when life is messy, especially when life is messy. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, we come before you this day and we come with thankful hearts. Lord, we know, we confess, God, it's hard to be thankful sometimes. It's hard to bless the name of the Lord, especially when the fires are been turned up in our lives. And God, I know that there are people in here right now that are struggling with their own issues, their own trials, whether it's health issues, financial issues, family, or relationship issues. God, we all have these trials and these difficult times we face. But God, we know and we trust that you're at work even when life is messy. And I pray today, God, that as we leave from here, that we can leave here blessing your name, praising your name. God, because you have eternal purposes for us. And you're stripping us of our dependence upon the world, the things of this world. You're turning our eyes to Christ. And for that, God, we bless your name. We praise you. Thank you, God, for not ever leaving us where we are. But God, you are constantly drawing us to your son and transforming us into his image. So we love you. We thank you. And we bless the name of the Lord. And the church said, amen. Thousand reasons for my heart to 
Ending our Unity in Christ broadcast. Thank you for listening, and I look forward to being with you again next week.